Welcome to the Wolverine Digest podcast, the best spot for objective and authentic coverage of Michigan athletics. If you want open dialogue, honest opinions, and in-depth coverage of the maize and blue, this is the podcast for you. And now, here's your host, Brandon Brown, joined as always by Chris Breiler. I'm just going to start by saying go blue. What it do, what it do, everybody on a Wednesday night. Well, Wednesday afternoon. What Evening. Evening. In between Wednesday afternoon and evening. Yeah, it's evening. Is 5 o'clock evening, or is it because it's getting a little dark out? No, I think 5 o'clock is officially evening. I think that's okay. the uh, the official, once you cross over from that 4 o'clock hour to 5, I think that constitutes evening. Maybe I'm I'd, wrong. I'd personally go with 6, but we're splitting hairs. That, oh, Chris Fields. Just, Chris Fields before the right intro out. music is even done. Right out the gate. Chris Fields throws it up there, and I mean, we'll, we'll just jump into it because, as I was explaining, we are on early Michigan basketball tips at 6 o'clock, so we're going to try to squeeze as much of this in as we can and get out of here right before that so people can tune in uh, and see what the Wolverines got on the hardwood against Pittsburgh. Uh, but we'll, we'll take Chris Fields' question first, then we'll talk basketball for just a few, and then we'll jump all the way back into the fan-led Wednesday at an earlier time, 5 o'clock tonight. Hopefully everybody can make it. If not... We'll be back to our normal schedule on Friday, uh, and then we'll see what Saturday holds. Chris and I were just talking about, dude. Holy cow. If you come out to the RV on Saturday, bring your gloves, bring your mittens, bring your hand warmers, because at 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, dude, low 20s? Now, I do think we are going to have we are going to have a heater out there for people that want to gather around, drink some beer and get a, maybe a little bit of that liquid heat inside of you. So we'll try to get a heater out there and make it as comfortable and cozy as possible. But yeah, Last I saw, 26, 28 degrees, so your boy's going to have to uh, do a little bit better with the apparel this time than I did last week, and I am planning <laughs> yeah. accordingly. Well, if it's dry, that would obviously also be an upgrade that over what help. you had to deal with help. last but week. I did see right? flurries. I saw some snow. So Yeah, yeah. Snow. So, all right, Chris Fields' question. I, you know, this, is, this has basically been the discussion, who's going to be where, because as of last week, nothing changed. Obviously, Georgia won, Ohio State 2, Michigan 3, TCU 4. They're the only four 10-0 teams, so it's going to be that way until some other things shake out. I think, uh, you know, TCU doesn't have a gimme this weekend. I think they're at Baylor. Uh, Michigan and Ohio State are both expected to win by a lot, but then, of course, they play each other. So there are going to be some things that move around and shift here. So... I get. I haven't even really thought about this yet, Chris. This first part of of Chris Fields' question: What would need to happen for Michigan to earn the number one seed? I mean, it's pretty obvious. They beat Ohio State. Georgia loses, right? I mean, that's what that's yeah. what it would be. I don't. I don't know if how diff, how uh, likely both of those things happening are, though. Well, I mean, I listen. If it's um... If it is a dominant win, similar to what it looked like in 2021, and you have a guy like Blake Corum that goes off, Michigan looks just in complete control against the number two team in the country, and then you have Georgia maybe struggle a little bit, uh, I could see a scenario where even if Georgia wins, Michigan beats Ohio State, they leapfrog Georgia, and they go up to that number one spot. I mean, at the end of the day... Um, you know, this is a win in your end scenario. And I think a lot of get, you know, a lot gets made of the college football playoffs and who's going to rank where and what the strength of schedule is, which by the way, I might, there might be part of this where I go off on a tangent about that. Cause I'm just so goddamn, so I'm sorry. I'm so sick and tired. So, 
sorry, uh, tired of hearing about people complain about strength of schedule as if uh. it's Michigan's fault that Michigan State sucks. It's Michigan's fault that Iowa sucks. It's Michigan's fault that Indiana sucks. It's Michigan's fault that Nebraska sucks. I mean, how, how is this a Michigan a issue? Like all they can do is play the teams that are in front of them. And so I'm so sick and tired of hearing about that. But most of the, the people griping about strength of schedule are the ones who aren't even in the playoff conversation anyway. So I can understand why there would be sour grapes, but to get back to the question. Yeah. The scenario is that Michigan has a convincing win against Ohio state on the road. Georgia maybe looks a little bit suspect in uh, their final game of the season. And then that's how Michigan gets up to the number one spot. What will be interesting to see is what happens to Ohio State if if that scenario plays out? Does does Ohio State fall completely out of the top four? What does the rest of the playoff picture look like? Um, I just, man, I am uh, very very anxious for November twenty six. I'll put it that way, dude. That thing, oh my god, how fun is that going to be? And I actually, I think I have, I think I have crested the hill, Chris. <laughs> I have crested the hill. I have gone past the threshold. I actually think Michigan is going to win that game. Like that so is the I. more likely scenario in my head now. So do I. Pretty much all year, I was kind of like, eh, I give them a really good shot, but it's still Ohio State. It's still at home. It's the shoe. Like I just don't. I'm. I'm. That's in the rear view. I think Michigan is the better team. I think they what they have is going to work better. I think it's going to travel more. I think they're going to beat Ohio State in Columbus. I do. And so yeah. that that's one of the dominoes that would need to fall. I don't think Georgia's going to lose. They they go to Kentucky this weekend. That's not a gimme, but I, I'd be surprised if Georgia didn't win that pretty handily. And then their last regular season game is at home against Georgia Tech. They'll probably be favored by 35. Like they're yeah. so I, I just don't see a path really. And What's that's what I'll deal with that schedule. What's the yeah. deal with that? Oh my yeah, god. Georgia, Georgia Tech, Tech the, the final game of the year. What's up yeah. with that? Out of conference. Cool. No, but um, <laughs> <laughs> when I said I don't think I don't know how likely either of those I don't know how likely that scenario is it was more I don't think Georgia's going to lose not that Michigan's going to not beat Ohio State I actually think Michigan I don't think they're going to be favored I'm, I'm just not I like they're they're getting a what little do you think that line's going to be what do you think it's going to be yeah man it's going to be mm, I bet it'll be Ohio State by like five, five and, and a half. half yeah there you go. that's where my mind went five and a half somewhere yep. around there I don't think it'll be a touchdown. I don't think it'll be a field goal. I think it'll be somewhere in between. Um, and, you know, we'll see. We'll see what that ends up looking like. But so to answer Chris's question, we've been on it for a minute now. I I just don't think there's really – I don't think there's a very high chance of both Michigan beating Ohio State in Columbus and Georgia losing a game over these last two. So it's probably not going to happen. I mean – Dude, they're they're not going to move Georgia down unless they get beat. I mean, there's no way. Or again, unless Michigan goes into the shoe and absolutely beats the shit out of Ohio State, which, quite frankly, is possible given the fact that I people are already looking at the extended weather forecast, and it is going to be cold in Columbus. There is supposed to be snow. At least they're calling for snow right now, and that's going to neutralize pretty much what C.J. Stroud and that offense typically does. And that's why I feel like there's so much confidence, at least on our side, about Michigan's chances in, in, in Columbus because their brand of football doesn't matter if it's hot, doesn't matter if it's raining, doesn't matter if it's windy, doesn't matter if it's snowing. They can play their brand of football pretty much anywhere. And I think Ohio State becomes one-dimensional depending on what the, the scenario and the elements are that surround them, and that's why I like Michigan in that one. And then, yeah, there is uh, – you know, there – 
obviously the championship weekend would factor into that as well, but you, it's hard to, I mean, right now it's got Georgia, Georgia taking on LSU. Um, I don't, is that like for sure? That's already on the ESPN schedule. That seems kind of odd. Maybe that is like already locked in based on where they're both at. But anyway, mm-hmm. I don't think so. But it, yeah, obviously that they'll have that game. They'll have that game to deal with before you get to the final college football standings. But in terms of these last two regular season games, I, I don't really see that happening. But anyway, yeah, we'll uh, we'll let it play out. I mean, football has been weird a lot of times this year, and it has a tendency to do that. So we'll we'll see what that ends up looking like. Um, and go from there, Chris, we, uh, today, uh, as I'm waiting for some more questions to come in, here's one I'll throw up in a minute, but today, man, we got a chance to talk to, um, Jesse Minter and Sharon Moore, the offensive and defensive coordinator for Michigan. And I tweeted this as soon as I walked out, I think a lot of people were a little skeptical of what Jesse Minter would do as the new DC, especially given the fact that Mike McDonald was so good last year. Jesse Minter was coming over from Vanderbilt. Not a lot of people knew what to expect or how, you know, it just kind of seemed in you lose Aiden Hutchinson, you lose David Ojabo. It's like, all right, there's going to be a step back. Like it's impossible for there not to be. Well, apparently the impossible has been achieved because Jesse Minter has been outstanding. The, the defense has been very productive. I mean, shutting teams out in the second half, like they have been just the overall number one scoring defense, number one rushing defense, number one total defense, giving up the fewest first downs in the entire country. I said it today when I wrote the article. I quoted a few things that Jesse Minner said. I put a video cut up up there. I said, just give him the Broyles Award now. Like, seriously, I think when you look at what he's done after losing two first-rounders, taking over from Mike McDonald and working that group into what he's done, he's the best assistant coach in the country. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I mean, you look at the numbers across the board and, you know, how many different statistical areas the Michigan defense is leading in. And you're right. You go back to the beginning of the season. I remember specifically when Jesse Minter's name was being thrown around and then he was hired. Most people were like, who the hell is this guy? Never even heard of him. Um, and not only now is he a well-known name within the, the Michigan community, but nationally people know who Jesse Minter is very well. They know about this Michigan defense and you're right. You lose a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo, Brad Hawkins, Daxton Hill. I mean, there was veterans all over the place on that side of the ball that they lost and had to replace. And, you know, credit to Jesse Minner for getting the defense ready and credit to those guys for remaining bought in. And I really think that goes back to, you know, speaks to the culture, that foundation that was laid by guys like Aiden Hutchinson, a guy like Mike Morris, uh, and some of those other guys were ready to step up on the defensive side of the ball. And, and they are all bought in Chris Jenkins, another perfect example. Like those guys play for each other as much as they play, you know, for themselves and to win the game. And I think it's just been, uh, it's been incredible to watch uh, the evolution of the defense over the year because it was such a large unknown at the beginning, and now they are. I mean, I love I love having that defense going to Columbus. That's that's for sure. And then what Michigan does offensively to complement it, I think, is just a really well balanced team. Yeah, I mean, Jesse Minner and Sharon uh, Moore both today used the term complimentary football repeatedly, yep. and it really it like that's kind of a cliche term that gets thrown around a little bit and. It can mean a lot of different things, but it's pretty clear that th- this is a very complimentary overall football team. The offense with the defense, with Brad Robbins, with Jake Mo- I mean, like Jake Moody, they they all factor into almost every win, it feels like. I mean, they've yeah. got strengths everywhere, very few weaknesses. If something's not I, – we haven't seen – 
this was the next question I was going to get into, so I'll save it. But we, I really liked what Jesse Minter had to say. A lot of good questions asked of him. I just like talking to the dude. He's good up there at the podium. Again, like you said, didn't know anything about him when the season started. And now he feels like, you know, he's been there for a while. He feels settled in. He feels like he's got the team doing exactly what he wants. And I just think that's really rare. I asked him about that today, and he kind of, I don't know if he, I think I asked him like a two-parter, and he kind of focused on the first part. But I, and he he may not have any any way to answer this, but I asked him how common that is. Like, how common is it for a guy to come in and replace a very successful coordinator and pick up right where he left off and maybe even improve it and not even like there hasn't been a growing pain at all. Like yeah. literally at all. It's been incredible to see. And so I I just kind of wondered how he was. And he talked about that. That was that was the main reason why he was the guy who got the job because Jim Harbaugh thought that it could pretty much go just like it has. And credit to Harbaugh for that. Uh, he's made some phenomenal hires over the last two years. Several that were like, ah, man, I hope they work out. And dude, have they ever freaking worked out, especially at DC, both Mike McDonald and Jesse Minner. You couldn't have I mean, if I remember correctly, wasn't it the same the same mindset when Jesse or I'm sorry, when Mike McDonald was hired? It was, it was like we we knew who he was, but it was like eh, I don't know much about this guy. And then lo and behold, incredible. NFL guy had never called a defense before. I remember thinking, like, I like his resume. I like that he's young. He seems to know what he's doing. He's got a lot of high praise, but I don't know, man. You you better hope for the best. And dude, he he exceeded that expectation. Now Jesse Minner might even be better. It's just crazy to see how those two hires have uh, have played out. And and speaking of that, this I'll wait to answer T-Max question here too to kind of double up with what Sharon Moore had to say. But how do we feel about the offense being a second half team? He's worried that against the better team, yeah, I mean Ohio State will be the best team they play, whoever they play in the Big Ten Championship, and then whoever they get in a bowl game or in a playoff. Those are all going to be the best opponents that Michigan's faced all year. There's no question. So their three hardest games are still well. <laughs> maybe the West, maybe the winner in the West isn't as good as Penn State. I was Penn State's like eleventh now or something. That's yeah, they're not. That's yeah, only they're looking not. like a top ten type yep. of win from earlier in the year. Anyway, the question, Chris, are you worried about that offense? in the second half, having to turn it on against a much better team, or maybe you can't just flip that switch. Nah, not really. Not with the way that the defense is playing. I think if the defense can, you know, I don't, I don't expect the Michigan defense to shut out the Buckeyes in the second half in Columbus, but you know, I also don't think that Ohio state's going to light up the scoreboard and put up, you know, 25, 30 points in the second half either. And so my biggest concern is, yeah, the first half and trying to find a way to replicate the success that they've enjoyed in the second half over the last five games and apply that to the first half. When you can outscore your opponents 117 to three in the second half, there's got to be some of that that translates over into the first half as well. I don't subscribe to the idea that they're holding much back for Ohio State. I think the offense pretty much is what it is. Um, and I can't remember who said it in the press conference on Monday might even been Joel Honingford, but somebody had, it had referenced the fact that the philosophy is to come out swinging, come out punching and keep punching. Like that is their goal offensively and defensively. And so, yeah, I am a little bit concerned that, um, you know, there is such a big discrepancy between the first half and the second half. And I don't know how to look at that. Like, is that, is that a positive that Michigan can make that big of a, a transition from first half to second half? Or is there part of you that says, well, if you can, if it can be that stark in the second half, why can't it be a little bit closer to that in the first yeah. half? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. against, again, against a team like Nebraska, Iowa, even Illinois, I'm not really worried about it, but 
Michigan is going to have to have, not just defensively, they're going to have to have a solid um, offensive performance down in Columbus against Ohio State. I don't think they can go into the half, you know, trailing seven to 10 to 14 points and then expect to flip that switch in the second half and just shut the Buckeyes out because now you're asking your offense to go out and do even more than what they were capable of doing in the first half. And that does concern me. It's exactly what I was going to ask. If there is a seven to 10 to 14 point deficit coming out of the half, and this was the part that I was going to reference about Sharon Moore. He was asked, like we've been talking about all week, all year, all forever, the passing game. Somebody straight up asked him, are you happy with the production of the passing game? If you need to throw it around to get back into a game like we're talking about, 7, 10, 14 point deficit, are you confident that your guys can do it? I know you know what he said. I mean, he's, he's only got one answer he can say. Hell no! <laughs> do you think he believes it, and mm. do you think Michigan can do it? That's really what it comes down. It doesn't no. matter what Jerome says no. at, at the microphone. It doesn't matter what he says they look like in practice. It matters what it looks like on Saturday, and so far on Saturdays, it hasn't looked very encouraging. Listen, Maria, I appreciate you, but I am taken. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm flattered if you can go down to her comment oh. there. She's uh, from the Facebook page. Uh, she's looking for love out there. She's just looking for a significant other. She wants a serious long-term relationship. You're not going to find it here, Maria, Is that but I appreciate order? the effort. <laughs> I mean, I see the last name there. I'm wondering if that's... Uh, um, look, does, does Sharon Moore... You know, what, what else? Obviously, you know what he's going to say during a press right. conference. Does he truly believe it? Um, I'm not sure because I'm not in his head. Can Michigan do it? Uh, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I don't think this passing game is at a point right now where you can flip the switch, turn it on, and all of a sudden start to get a ton of production out of the passing game that just hasn't really been there for the first 10 weeks. And, and I talked about this on the show on Monday. <laughs> I think even though J.J. McCarthy has been efficient and he's done some good things and he brings another element to the table in terms of his mobility versus what Cade was able to do, if you look at the numbers between Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy through 10 weeks, they're nearly identical. I mean, it is is nearly the same identical output. Um, and I just, you know, from from week one to week 10, I can't really point to a single area of the passing offense where there has been noticeable improvement. And maybe Brandon, you can help me out if there's an area that I'm missing, but to me, the passing game looks the same week 10 as it did week one. There, there really hasn't been much development there now in terms of the rushing attack and what we saw out of Blake Corum the first few weeks, and then how good he's been in, in um, conference play and how consistent he is. It's a little bit different. So yeah, I am, um, I am skeptical at best that Michigan, if they get into a spot where they need to turn it on and they need to get points through the air and they've got to move the ball that way, I'm, I'm, uh, that concerns me. That scares me. I'm going to poke the bear just a little bit, Chris. I know you're not in Sharon Moore's head. None of us are, but I want to ask you something. I'm going to give you an analogy. Okay. I told you, Chris, go out and try to dunk a basketball 50 times on a 10-foot rim, and you never can. I'm quite certain you can't. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, dude, I can't even get net. Okay. So you're 0 for 50 on dunking the ball, and then you go up to oh, a press finish. conference and someone says, if you needed to, how confident are you that you could go out and yam it a few good times when you really had to have it? I mean, if right? I needed to, if push comes right? to shove, if push comes to shove, look, if if my if if my family's depending on me, if like it needs to happen, I bet Don't I can get there. a few more inches. 
you know, but but that's the I'm thing. I'm obviously being a little bit of a dick, but like it's, I just don't. I know what he's going to say, but I really truly to. wonder what they're talking about in meetings, and they're looking at. They're like, damn it, why can't we? Why can't he hit on that throw? Why are we not getting more separation? Why? Why? I mean, like, and it's not, it's not one thing. It's either if, if JJ's misfiring a little bit or it's the ball, you know, maybe it's a tough catch, but the receivers aren't pulling it in when it hits their hands. And I do want to say something about that. You know, somebody mentioned, um, you know, we were talking about Andrew Anthony and they're like, well, when the ball hits you in your hands, you got to make the catch. You have to understand that when when you're used so infrequently and then you're asked to make a big play at a random point in the game that's like bringing somebody off the bench in the basketball game and then putting them in on a critical play and saying we need you to hit that three point shot it's like there is zero rhythm there and we actually talked with Braylon Edwards about that a few weeks back like how necessary is it as a wide receiver that you're not just out there blocking, but you're getting the ball in your hands and you're feeling like you're a part of the offense. And he admitted that, yes, that is a part of it. Wide receivers, just like offensive linemen, just like quarterbacks, just like running backs, they all need to develop a rhythm. And so, you know, yeah, I understand when the ball hits you in the hands, you got to pull it in. But you also have to understand that it happens so infrequently that these guys haven't even had the opportunity through 10 weeks to develop momentum, to develop you know, the confidence that they can go up and snag that ball. And so for me, again, I don't want to be Debbie Downer because they're 10 and 0. They're in the driver's seat again to go back to Indy and possibly be, uh, you know, beyond. But for me, that's been in an otherwise phenomenal season, the, the biggest disappointment because we, we all thought, at least I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of Brandon here and, and on our side, that when JJ McCarthy took over, this passing game was going to look a lot different, especially when you factor in all the weapons that they have on the perimeter. And when you look at the numbers, it is identical, identical to what Cade McNamara was producing through 10 weeks. And so, again, really speaks more to it's not the quarterback. doesn't matter who it is behind center. It is the system. And that's probably why, you know, I'm not going to go into the Dante Moore thing or some of these other things, but that's, you know, when, when you look at those numbers and you see that, it's like, well, you know, do you really need a five-star guy behind center operating that type of offense? I don't think you do. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot. Find a guy who could throw it a little bit and can run and can take hits and can be, you know. Get a guy from the service academy. Get a guy from Army Nate. You know, you can bring a guy like that to, to Ann Arbor, and they you know can what? run this Michigan offense. That guy's probably already on the on the roster, and his name's Alex Orgy. There it that's, is. That's the guy. There it is. That's the kind of guy right there. And he's got a – he's got a – he's got a – more than adequate arm, but right. that, that he's two thirty. He can run it. He's not going to get dinged up when he takes a shot like a hundred. I mean, he might deliver punishment when he's yeah. out there. You know what I'm saying? Maybe like that's I, the thought. Know. Maybe that is the that's completely the thought. I I mean, I don't know. It is a thought that we have thrown around here a little bit before, and it's it does it seems to make sense to me. I thought this was interesting, and while I was reading the question and waiting for Chris to wrap up his thought on it. I did a little research and I'm going to, I'm going to throw a question at Chris yeah. just to see if he can get in the ballpark a little bit. And Ben, I was, I was curious about your question. If you were just going off of kind of what you thought or what you saw, I wanted to know for sure what we were dealing with here. So his question is Chris, any thoughts on not lining Donovan Edwards up as a receiver more often and also not running play action that often. I haven't looked up the play action thing. I could probably do that if I had a minute to dig. I knew exactly where to look for Donovan Edwards lining up outside as a receiver. So this season, Chris, Donovan Edwards has played 177 snaps 
Okay. 177. He was hurt for two or three games. Yep. And obviously he's, he's can, you know, he's conceding a little bit to Blake Corum who's out there a lot. 177 snaps. How many of those snaps do you think he was either in the slot or out wide? Just, you know, not your traditional running back then outside wide at the line of scrimmage running a route, either as a slot or as a split in. Out of 177? 177 snaps. How many do you think he was out there for? Less than 15. 17 snaps. That's it. Ooh, okay. 17 snaps. He's been out wide where eight, sorry, 18, 18 snaps, whatever, give or take a snap. But that's, that's next to nothing. That's next to nothing. When you consider how good he is out there. Well, you know why, you know why that is they're saving it for November 26th, Brandon. That's why, you know, we might see a little bit more of it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say that that's impossible, but you know, I've talked about this a bunch of times too. Every single time there's a tight end split out wide, you've got Max Bredesen out wide. Like, could that not be Donovan Edwards? I mean, what are we doing? Unless you're specifically throwing a smoke or a bubble screen to a receiver and you would like two tight ends to then turn into lead blockers on the perimeter. I just don't know why you ever put Max Bredesen out there. Well, I that's really why, don't. because that's what those that's what those guys are doing. I mean, it it is a get out there and block. That's yeah. why I'm saying I don't even know that Michigan needs to recruit wide receivers anymore. Just recruit tight ends, you know, and, and split them out and then bring them in and let them block. And, and, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with this. Like what, you know, what is the use in having a guy like AJ Henning or Andrew Anthony, or, you know, I know Ronnie Bell has had some decent production this year, but yeah, I mean, you go down Darius Clemens, you know, you look at Amari and Walker, those types of guys, like, I get it that they're freshmen and they're probably not playing much because they're freshmen, but will it matter if they're seniors? Is their production really going to go up? I looked at the numbers from Andrew Anthony last year, and I think he had 12 receptions for, I don't know, 200 and some odd yards. He's at seven receptions for 80 yards through 10 games this year. He's his production has regressed considerably. I just, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're a wide receiver and waiting and you're, and you're waiting for your number to be called, even when it is called, I mean, how often will it be called? You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough place to be while you're, while you're talking about that, I'm going to pull up the exact same thing. So Andrew Anthony has been on the field for 271 snaps this year. And how many catches did you say he had? Seven. 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 What? Seven yeah, catches, dude, through crazy. 10 weeks. That's crazy. Nick, thank you for the donation, sir. I just don't know if I can get on board with this now. I might have been able to be talked into this, you know, earlier in the year when it's his first start or his first Big Ten or his first road game that JJ did miss some reps and might need a little more time to get going, might not have the chemistry with his guys. I mean, maybe, but dude, no, not now, not 10 weeks into the season when you've been the guy all along. I, sorry, for those that, that aren't watching the video, Nick asked, JJ missed all of the offseason to stack up reps with the receivers. Yes, he was dealing with his shoulder. He missed split, and then he split snaps with Cade when they were still trying to figure out who the starter was. He simply needs more reps. I, I just, I can't get on board with that. I, I He's too talented. He's got too much arm skill. He's been doing it his whole life, and now we're in week 11. Like, as Chris said, the passing game really doesn't look any better. It may even have regressed since earlier this year. Like, I'm thinking back to, like, a couple of the throws J.J. made early this earlier this year that, like, blew my hat off my head, and I don't know if he's made one of those in six weeks. 
one of those throws where I'm just like, damn, that is a seed. I can't remember the last time I said that about one of his throws. So I, I'm sorry, Nick. I'm not clowning you, not dogging the, quen- the question or the comment. I just don't think personally I can get on board with that line of thought. No, no. I mean, I mean, unless you're talking like the same, the same as what we're talking with the wide receivers where it's in game, where he just needs to throw the ball more in the game and get into the rhythm in the game. But I, you know, look, I've got the numbers 10, 10 weeks in comparing Cade McNamara to JJ McCarthy. This is 10 weeks in completions. JJ McCarthy, 147. Cade McNamara, 149. So Cade McNamara up until this point completed two more passes than JJ has this year through through 10 games. Yards, JJ McCarthy, 1,744. Cade McNamara, 1,883. Touchdowns. JJ McCarthy, 14. Cade McNamara, 12. So that's plus two for JJ. Interceptions, two for JJ, two for Cade McNamara. Um, and then the offensive scoring with, with JJ under center has been 41.4 points per game, uh, almost a full touchdown better with, uh, with JJ than with Cade. Cade's at 34.7. So generally speaking, the numbers That's are nearly, nearly identical through 10 weeks. And when you look at the skill set that JJ has compared to Cade, I think what that tells you is it's not a matter of who the quarterback is. It is the system, and J.J. is playing within the system. And so I don't hold lack of production through the air or even some of the misfires deep. I don't put that on J.J. I just think it's a byproduct of a system that isn't really quarterback and wide receiver friendly. And so when you attempt to utilize that as infrequently as you do, it's no, it's no wonder why they're an inch or two off here and there because, yeah, you can do it in practice and it can look great, but if you're not doing it consistently on Saturday, it's going to look the way that it looks. Cade has two more completions and 140 more yards than J.J. through the same amount of games. Through the same amount of games. If somebody had told me that that I'd would be... I'd have told them to get the... Just <laughs> never speak to me again. Never, never would have believed it. Never. Wow. Never. And so, again, I go back to... You know, we spent a lot of time not ragging on him, but we felt that Cade was holding this passing game back, you know, and (laughs) Cade was actually more productive through the air through 10 games, you know. So, again, it's a system. How many more passing attempts? Somebody asked about passing attempts. So, JJ threw uh, 213 attempts so far through 10 games. Cade McNamara, 237. So, Cade McNamara threw 24 more balls. So obviously JJ's JJ's percentage, which has been high all year, is better. So it's averaging. So so Cade was averaging about three more attempts per game. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's that's crazy. And you still had Blake Corum, and you still had Hassan Haskins. So you still had two elite running backs. That is crazy, dude. Yeah, I didn't see those numbers before, but that's wild. That is wild. All right, we haven't talked about this in a while. Well, you know what? Before we do that, let's hear a little bit from our boy Rich. Get a little Richie. bit of up there so we can do that and take care of some uh, some house cleaning. Here we go. Hey, this is Rich from Mediascapes located in Burton. Let me fill you in a little bit about our business. We are a full-service sign and graphic company from banners, yard signs, to vehicle wraps. When it comes to marketing your business, we also provide video and photography services as well as apparel and promotional items. If it's something that will make your business organization stand out, we do it. And I guarantee we do it well. 
We are Mediascapes on Dora Highway, south of Bristol Road, just before Rock Bottom. Check out our work at Mediascapes.com. That's Mediascapes with a K dot com. And there you have it, Mediascapes with a K dot com. The phone number, the location, the tagline, it's all there as always. Big shout out to Rich and the crew. Man, every time I see that beautiful RV, dude, I just think about how it looked when we took it in there. And man, man, oh, man. From Walter White to Franchise Black. That's what happened. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Oh, where'd that question go? I wanted to get yours. Chris, we talked about this before, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on it because it's kind of been put to bed a little bit. I mean, it's not over. The investigation with all the stuff between Michigan State and the tunnel is still going on. I know, I know. But you did comment on this recently, and that's why it's been brought up again. John Bacon put out the big, long article thing, a long thread of all the stuff, and you specifically, you told me about this way before John Bacon released anything, like the exact like the exact verbiage, the exact language. So the question comes from Matt Kirby. The buzz around Bacon's article, the Michigan State sideline BS, and Chris, you were there. You were down there and heard and saw a lot of this with your own ears and eyes. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, we we talked about it right after the game, you know, and, and there was somebody that had pushed back and said, well, you know, coaches are always getting in the ass of of uh, of um, of officials when they're not happy with a call and yada, yada, yada. But I'm telling you, man, I've been down on the sideline all year. You get to see these guys up close and personal. Mel Tucker was just different that evening. He was angry. He was, like, frothing at the mouth. He was screaming shit at the wide receiver. It wasn't like or at, at the referees, it wasn't like, you know, that's a terrible effing call. It's like, you, you're an effing piece of, you know, I mean, it was like these personal attacks. Yeah. And I think because, you know, part of it was Michigan had that game in hand pretty early. It became pretty apparent that Michigan state wasn't going to win. Now I didn't hear anything specific about like break his arm or take his legs out, but I will say from my vantage point and from, you know, spending a lot of time watching Mel Tucker and, and shooting on the sideline, I wasn't surprised about anything that that Bacon had put out there and what some of his sources had told him. And then I saw that somebody, you know, pushed back. I forget it, who it is, but it's a Michigan State football player. Went on some shitty podcast, by the way. I forget what the guy's name is, and basically said, "Like, look, you know, we don't we don't do that here. Like, we're about you know integrity, and we're about this, and we've got you know you know guys that coached in the NFL on this staff, and we're always trying to be perfect." It's like, okay that doesn't line up at all with what occurred in the tunnel. So you can throw all that bullshit out the window when you want to talk about integrity and, 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 you know, and respect and all of this other stuff. It just, it didn't exist on Saturday night. So, you know, the buzz or the, from what I could see on social media, the response was people from Michigan side saw what bacon put out and were like, yep, lines up, makes sense. And then people that were, you know, Sparty fans were like, ah, it's just another bullshit. You know, it's, it's another Michigan guy pushing a Michigan narrative and somewhere in between is is the truth. And all I can say is what I saw on Saturday night lined up with what a lot of what Bacon had to say. It, li it lined up a lot with Mel Tucker's conduct and just the way he was, the energy he was giving off on the sideline. And then you saw what transpired in the uh, in the locker room. So we'll just kind of leave it at that. There you have it. There you have it from a person who was down around it. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I tend to believe, uh, like I said, and Chris told me that, well before anything that bacon put out on a uh, you know on a long public thread on twitter i didn't read the entire article I, I didn't i didn't delve into it that deep but i saw all the stuff that he posted about it on twitter so anyway there you go sean this is an interesting question i mean so sean bennett 
Ronnie Bell, high hopes coming into the season, two touchdowns only. Yeah, that's not a super productive year for a guy who was, you know, described as bigger, stronger, faster, better than he's ever been after the injury. I mean, those aren't my words. Those are Jim Harbaugh's words and not super productive. Yeah, he's Michigan's leading receiver. But that, again, as we've talked about, that's not saying a whole lot. Um where do I see him going? I mean, Jim Harbaugh just said that he's going to the NFL. I mean, he was pretty open and outward about that, but that production's not real, uh, you know, not real attractive to the NFL. I don't think Ronnie Bell's necessarily going to light up the combine. So yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I'm not ready to say he's, you know, done with football yet. I, I wouldn't say that. I know you mentioned Jake Butt and Denard Robinson, obviously Jake Butt. Uh, career was cut short due to injuries, and I'm still surprised that Denard Robinson couldn't find a home somewhere. Probably didn't help that he started off with Jacksonville when they were in the toilet. But anyway, yeah. I don't know, man. Well, I mean, he had you know he had a lingering uh, injury. Yeah. I think that also played a part in the that. There, there, yeah, yeah, there were several. He had the staff infection. There were several factors. I'm I'm right on board with the Denard Robinson thing. I thought for sure whether it was you know, special teams or whatever it was, there was going to be a place for a guy that, that, that was that electric and, and I'm bummed out that it didn't happen. Um, you know, but what's, what's the question? Where do we see Ronnie? Ronnie Bell? Bell an, I guess basically it's coming down to, is he an NFL receiver? Uh, I do think he's an NFL receiver. Um, whether or not he gets drafted, I'm not that sure. I'm looking at his numbers right now. He's averaging four and a half catches per game. Uh, he's got 597 yards through 10 weeks. Uh, yeah. And only two touchdowns. So again, those aren't numbers that are going to light up the scoreboard. Will he test well at the combine? Maybe. Is he a good dude? Is he a locker room dude? Is he a guy that like you can count on that, you know, just has it, has it right mentally and upstairs? Absolutely. And I think to, you know, to, to some extent, you know, things like that count for a lot, but you know, he's the best receiver on this football team and he's got 45 yards and only two touchdowns. And so I just, you know, if you're, if you're an NFL scout, if you're looking for a dude who's been going out making big play after big play, who's used to getting their ball in their hands. I don't know that there's a wide receiver on the Michigan roster. That's really going to pique your interest. And and I think that's a bummer because I think they have a whole stable of guys who, who fit that bill. If they were given the opportunity, man, it sounds so damn negative with a 10 and O team, doesn't it? But the question was asked, and so I think part of our obligation is just to be honest about how we feel. Just to, That's exactly what I was going to say. We're just answering the questions at this point. But Jim Harbaugh openly said on Monday on the radio show that Ronnie Bell was done at Michigan after this year. He's going to be playing on Sundays for a long time, and I hope he's right. I hope you that's know what? Scratch that. Happen. Michigan's 10-0. and Ronnie Bell's going in the first round. Book it. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you want? For a second. Boom. Uh, Boom. There, first yeah. round. Can I just say, can I just say, as we were uh, – as we're doing this segment, I look down at my email. Credentials for Ohio State approved. I was gonna say it too. I, I didn't want. I didn't. I was so like, I looked down and I saw it, and it said your credentials have been approved. Like, look, yeah. You know what? I I have not. I've been to a Michigan Ohio State game at home. Have never been to the shoe, and certainly yeah. have never been down on the field in the shoe shooting photographs. And so I am uh, pretty jacked to see that email come through. Yeah, that's pretty badass. I wasn't sure if I should say it yet because I didn't know if it was going to be different for you being photography than me. And I didn't. I, I just it probably came through at the same time because it happened a little bit ago. And I was like, oh, man, that's sick. Yeah, because it's crazy, dude. 
I've been covering the team in some capacity or another, either as a recruiting person or a team person for, this is my ninth season. Brady Hoke's last year was my first, and I've yeah. never been to the shoe, man. Never been there. And it's a, what, two, two and a half, three hour drive? Yeah. Never made the trip. Incredible. And I mean, for, for it to be the scenario that it's going to be yes. and everything on the line and what that game is going to mean, I just, I am, I, uh, I, I look, I know. Illinois first, Illinois first, yeah. Illinois first. Got to well, get through Illinois. That's a perfect segue to the next question I want to throw up from Dan Genro, friend of the show, friend of the hey. real, an IRL friend, an in real life friend of mine. Me and Dan go way back, dude. That's a new Lothar Pornet through and through right there. <laughs> Love that he's been t- tuning into the show. Always has some good stuff to say. It was quite a tight end back in his day, if I may add, Mr. Dan General. But you mean like a tight ass, like like a dick, like like cheap? Or you mean, or he played tight end? He played tight end. He's, oh, he's okay. pretty good with his money, but I, I wouldn't call him a tight ass necessarily. I don't, I don't know. It's been a while since we hung out on that level. But uh, no, no. Dan's good. good Dan's good people. And he, he rocked that 84 back in the day. Do I remember it clearly? Back in the old uh, stomping grounds. But his question is perfect for what you were just talking about, Chris. Yeah. Illinois first. He says that ESPN has Michigan on upset alert. Michigan's favored by a lot. I think it's like 17 and a half or 18. I think it moved to 18 today. You said it would move, Chris. Yep. And I think it has shifted by a point or a half a point at this point. But they do have a good run run defense and a good pass defense. And they've got Chase Brown, who sounds like he's going to be able to play, but probably isn't 100%. One of the only guys getting more production on the ground than Blake Corum this year. I, I'm just not, I'm not worried, dude. I don't, it feels the same way I felt about a lot of the games this year for Michigan. I just don't see it. What was Penn State? What was Penn State ranked in terms of their rush defense when they They came in? The number five defense, I think. Yeah. The number five defense. So, I mean, you know, the fact that uh, Illinois has the number one pass defense, well, Michigan doesn't really pass it that much cool. that often, you know, so so that is irrelevant to me. And then the number three rush defense in the country, yeah, they might have that, but they have not faced a team like Michigan. And I'm telling you, this offensive line, they are enjoying their role in this season, which is shoving people around, breaking their will. They can see it happen during the game. They can see the guys across from them getting demoralized as the quarters go on. And then you've got number seven and number two back there that, you know, I think it was, who was it? Carson Barnhart. When you're, you know, you're pushing a guy four yards downfield and then you see number two go whizzing by or number seven go blowing by. Like, I'm not worried, man. I just, you know, Illinois is good. They're okay. I, but they have lost their last two games. Uh, you know, to I think it was Michigan State and Purdue, and they haven't seen yeah. they haven't seen an offense like they're going to face against Michigan. And then on the flip side, you got to deal with that Michigan defense, which is arguably the best in the country. So I I'm not at all worried about a letdown. And because of that reason, maybe I am a little bit worried about it because I just do feel so confident about it. Am I talking myself into being worried, or or is my confidence justified? I just feel like. The coaching staff is too good. The team is too disciplined. They're way too damn talented. Illinois is not going to prevent Michigan from going to Columbus 11 and 0. I can tell you that. I just can't forget that two weeks ago, a hapless Sparty team down eight players went into Champaign and beat up on Illinois and won beat them up. by eight points. It wasn't that close. Yeah. I I don't see it. I think Michigan's going to cover. The beat them a factor. Bert. <laughs> I, I mean, if if Bielma gets about fourteen beers in him before that game kicks off, you never know, dude. Whatever happens, let it happen. But nah, dude, I think Michigan's gonna roll. I think this is. 
I hate this term, but I actually found myself asking it to myself the other day. Is this a team of destiny? And I hate that shit. I do. I don't like that that term. It just feels like Michigan is geared up, prepared, and so good at what they do that nothing is going to stand in Isn't their way. Isn't that what Jim Harbaugh said? Our moment wasn't last year. Our moment's not next year. Our time is now. Our I time is now. Bowl over Illinois, and that's why I think they're going to beat Ohio State now. And can it's I just that. say, Zach Woodruff from the Facebook page, you make a great point. If people are worried about a letdown or Michigan not being motivated, look, for some of these guys, it's the last game they're going to play in Michigan Stadium for the rest of their career. Yeah. It's senior day. Those guys are going to be motivated to go out and, and really end that one on top. And so you you also have to factor that in. I didn't even realize that, man, that it's senior day, and a lot of these guys, it's, it's going to be their final game in the big house, and that's always – that's always a special moment. And so, yeah, I think when you line up all the factors, I, I think it spells big, big, big trouble for Illinois. And I think Michigan goes to Columbus 11 and 0. Three bigs. That was three bigs from Chris. Right big, there. Big, 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 big trouble. All right. Well, and 40 plus guys, by the way, Harbaugh said 40 plus seniors will be honored on senior day. So that's, yeah. a, that's a big group. And some yep. will be back. That's not like that doesn't mean 40 guys are exiting the program, but. There's 40 guys that are a senior status and will be honored on Saturday. And yeah, but a big chunk of them uh, are done playing at Michigan. And, and dude, let's be honest, done playing football uh, yeah. after this. You know, they got one more, obviously, Ohio State than the end of the year, but certainly done at the big house and maybe done, you know, coming down the tunnel, uh, the final stretch in their whole entire football career. So, yeah, that's one of those things that that carries some power. You just hope it doesn't like overload because you do see some teams get way up on an emotional high and then they don't play very well. I just don't think that's this team. I mean, I think you go all the way back to the midpoint of last year, really, with the exception of Michigan State. And, like, every time there was like, ah, this might be a trap game or maybe this team's going to they, – they just don't let it happen. They yeah. just they lock in. They focus on what they're supposed to do. They're well coached. They're disciplined. I don't see it. I think Michigan's going to whoop Illinois' ass, and I think they're going to have a really good shot and maybe be my favorite to beat Ohio State in Columbus. Who does Ohio State have this weekend? Maryland. At Maryland. The terms. Don't, don't you watch out for that don't, one. Don't that. You know the you know they're gonna have on the special uniforms. Maryland's gonna, like gonna go all black. <laughs> yeah. Uh this one's been asked by a few people, Chris. And I'll be honest, I don't have a a wealth of knowledge on this. I know you put up a story about it. We talked a little bit about uh this with, with uh the coaches today. Um but Biff Pogey, his impact on the program and the fact that he's leaving, he's gonna be with Michigan through the rest of the season. But then he will immediately depart and become the head coach of uh, was it Charlotte? I think Charlotte. Charlotte. Yep, North Carolina, Charlotte. Yeah, and so they they uh, you know his I don't know if his role has ever been like exclusively defined in terms of like what he does on a day to day basis. But he's Harbaugh's guy. He's been at Michigan a couple different times. He ran the program that produced Blake Corum, that produced Nikai Hill Green, that produced Derek Moore, that produced dozens and dozens of division one players and brought St. Francis out of the doldrums. I mean, that used to be one of the worst programs in the Baltimore area. He turned them into a powerhouse, dumped a ton of his own money into it. Obviously the father of a former player, Mr. Henry Pogey, who you have. Oh, there you go. Right there. So I don't know. I don't know if I can really explain exactly what his impact might be on the program, because I think he's just like, he kind of just looks and feels and acts like a program dad. Like he's yeah. just a figurehead. He's there 
does a little bit of everything and Harbaugh loves the guy. So it's, it's hard to measure. I feel like, let me just, let me share messages from uh, some players of some guys that are on the team that once, once we shared this story, heard a couple of things. Um, One was from the parent of Zach Zinner. And this is on, on Biff Pogey. One of the absolute best. He's been such a positive mentor slash coach slash friend to our boys and families. He will be greatly missed, but happy for him and his family. And then the father of Blake Corum, Mr. James Corum. He was Blake's coach for five years. One of the best coaches and best men you'll ever meet. Absolutely love that guy. And so, you know, I have not heard anybody say anything negative about Biff Pogey. And, and like I had mentioned in the article, he has been credited with really helping to change like the mindset and the culture within that program. And I think Biff even had a, um, had a quote that came out not too long ago where he said, you know, you, you we're probably never going to be able to recruit at the level that Ohio state does here. We're not going to be able to get those types of athletes here. And so we've got to be better in other areas and culture has got to be one of them. And the way that our mindset is, has to be one of them. And I think he used those, those types of phrases and, you know, you can see the fruit of it on the football field. You can see the impact that he makes. And then you hear what some of the players, you know, especially uh, James Corum, whose son played for him for five years and speaks that highly of him. I just think, you know, is it going to have any impact on the program moving forward? Sure. Anytime you lose a person like that, it sucks and you hate to see it happen. But there's also, you know, I think the work that Biff Pogey did here will remain after he's gone because I think the leadership within the building now understands how important continuing that that sense of culture is. And we've talked to enough of guys about that where they, they now understand the value. Um, Joel Honingford even said it. He's been in the program for a long time, started as an offensive lineman. He's kind of moved around. Now he's a tight end, does whatever is asked of him, um, and, and understands that it's, it's about the team. It's about the greater picture. And I think that guys like Biff Pogey have, have done a lot in, in terms of changing the focus of, of these players on the team. So sucks to lose him, but I think he's going to leave behind, you know, whatever impact he made, I think is going to stay within that locker room and continue on. That's exactly how a culture's built. Dudes like that. Kind of an old head, you know, older dude, been around the block, done a lot of different things. He's a successful business guy. He's built a, you know, built a tough program up from nothing, started to recruit at a really high level in high school at a, at a you know, a private academy there at St. Francis and, you know, changed the lives of like literally dozens and dozens, hundreds, hundreds of young men in high school who needed a place to go and kind of a mentorship. I mean, like, Back when I was covered recruiting, I used to hear a lot more about it. The kind of, you know, the kind of kids that they would get at St. Francis and the kind of men that they would turn them into. And then they'd go on to bigger and better things in college. Blake Corum, great example of that. Uh, Nikai Hill Green, same thing. And there's there's others. Derek Moore there now. And I, dude, I'd be an interesting thing to look at. I bet there, <laughs> there's probably 40 teams in the country that have a St. Francis player on the squad yeah. that Biff Pogey helped get there. So, it's just a, it's a testament to some of those things that Chris just said. And yeah, like I said, I don't, I don't know, like day to day, if you followed Biff Pogey around with a camera for an eight hour shift, I don't know what that looks like, but I know that he's made an impact. And it's some of the stuff that we've just talked about right there. And you can hear it from the players and their parents and everything like that. So yeah, it sucks when you lose a guy like that, but some of the stuff that he's did, that's how traditions start. That's how legacy starts. That's how culture is built and carries on. And so we'll see. We'll see. And obviously, like I said, Harbaugh has been a fan of the guy for a really long time. So um, I don't it was it's kind of a weird window to be hiring a coach right now. I was kind of surprised when I saw that come across the ticker. But um, yeah, shout out to Biff Pogey going to get to lead a college program. Congratulations. After yeah, absolutely. For a long time. 
Um, do you think he's going to bring back the the sleeveless shirt look on oh. the sideline out like, there in Charlotte? It's like a Belichick oversized five X, like just <laughs> yeah, getting it in. No, but but nothing just out. Just meat underneath. That's it, dude. Nothing, <laughs> nothing else. Wild, wild <laughs> approach. Uh, Cody, real quick, easy answer for you. We will be back at five seventeen Berkeley uh, on yeah, Saturday, with Rosie. Yeah. Dude, cold. Bring your mittens, bring your coats, and we will hopefully have a heater out there, but it's going to be a chilly one. So come find your boys. Get a little bit of, what would you call it earlier, Chris? A little liquid heat in you? Liquid heat, yeah. yeah. Bring bring the shooters out, the shooters. Get some of that with you, and uh, we'll have a good time. And then again, we'll mention it right now. This is a good, a good spot to mention this. Wolverine State Brewing Company, Chris. We're yeah. going to be there, are we not? We are going to be there right after the game, so... Would certainly encourage. I mean, we did it after the last game um, against Nebraska. Went down there with a few fans, got to hang out a little bit. Um, going to be doing the same thing this weekend, right after the game. We're going to finish up, maybe do our post game show from Wolverine State Brewing Company. And again, just like with with you know all the other sponsors that we work with, whether it be Rich and Emily from Mediascapes, whether it be the Army National Guard. They just have an incredible group of people that work there. Every time I'm in there, they make me feel like family. They're also helping with this silent auction that we're doing. I got a picture today that a lot of that game-worn memorabilia that I, I brought out of my collection, it's hanging on the wall now at, at Wolverine State Brewing Company. So not only can you come out there and hang out with the boys, maybe catch us do a live post-game show to celebrate the final home game of the year, but you can also put in a silent bid on several pieces of game-worn memorabilia from Michigan football and um, – you know, regardless of whether or not you win, uh, whoever the winning bidder is, it, it all goes to a phenomenal cause with uh, Mott Children's Hospital. So uh, forever grateful for Wolverine State Brewing Company and all the help they provided to, you know, to Brandon and I and just different things that we wanted to do this year. They've been a key part of that. And we are not blowing smoke. You can ask CJ Frazier. You can ask the, the, I feel really bad that I don't remember their names, but I don't young couple that was with us from Columbus had a phenomenal time hanging out with them. I remember everything about them. I just, the names escaped me, but they were, they got the nachos. I told them about the nachos, man. And they went and got it. Me and Chris and CJ all <laughs> dove in on some, some Mac and cheese with various, uh, various proteins. And dude, you, you can't go wrong. Please go over to Wolverine state brewing company. If you haven't been there Close your eyes and throw a dart at the menu and eat whatever comes out and you'll be happy. I promise. So good, <laughs> pull pork mac and cheese. You'll you find me elbow deep. They give you the healthy portion. So you'll get your calories and carbs. Just no doubt. Swimming in a vat of melted cheese and big old fat curly Q noodles. Dude, I'm, mm. Cheese and noodles and pulled pork and beer. I mean, what what more do you want in, in these cold months? Like you got to pack it on a little bit. Right now. No. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's what it makes you, that's what it makes you want to do though. So yeah, come, come check us out. Hang out with us after the game on Saturday. It's a noon kick. So there's gonna be plenty of time afterwards yeah. to go home and yeah. do whatever nonsense you got to deal. You don't got to go home man. come hang out with us, right. fill it up, man. That's what we want to see. We want to fill up that, that place and make, we want to, we want to go in there with so many people that Nate and Jeremy are like, Oh my God, what the hell are these guys doing? <laughs> We're never going to be able to accommodate this many people. That's what we want. So follow yeah. us out there. Yeah. I didn't even see this. I'm sorry. I might have hit the button, but I forgot about it. But we have a donation here, and I didn't realize it from AJ Cooper. I think this is when we were talking about the passing game stuff, Chris. He's talking about, you know, not repping it in games, you know, deck to Donovan Peoples Jones, Nico Collins, drop issues with some of those guys. Donovan Peoples Jones never had a hundred yard game in college, which is crazy. Nico Collins averaged like just over two catches a game, I think. I mean, you know, we're kind of beating a dead horse at this point, but 
I mean, it's it's not a wide not a wide receiver friendly offense, not, and that's not it's not a slam against Jim Harbaugh. It's not a slam against Michigan football. It's just you know some teams are pass heavy, and the running backs aren't really that involved. And I mean, it's just it's a different philosophy. And if you're a wide receiver, um, you can come to Michigan. You can win a lot of football games. You can you, you know have the opportunity to compete for a conference championship and and possibly beyond uh, year in and year out. But you know if you're hoping you're going to get 60 70 receptions it's just it's not gonna happen like this is not the offense to do that that's why five-star running backs and five-star offensive linemen and tight ends should be beating down the door to get to ann arbor as fast as they possibly can yeah yeah i mean it seems like a no-brainer did i bring out the brian kelly accent for a minute I mean, sometimes it just creeps up on you, dude. I mean, I mean if we're talking about the family, <laughs> so not wide receiver friendly to be hair with my family, <laughs> put a little music on, do some voguing with a recruit. Uh, why don't we have that for a drop? Why don't we have Brian Kelly's family? family? Yeah, we, need word. we need that. I'll make another note, dude. That's what she said. I, f I forgot to get that again. Family B Kelly. We do have. We do have the Tim Allen one, which does not get used as often as I would hope. Uh, for one, <laughs> it's the very last drop on the second page of the soundboard. So I'm just, I'm just I mean, not over there that much. Even the fact that you said that deserves that drop because that drop should not be the last drop uh, on the last page. What? That should be like one of the first drops on the first page. I mean, that's over there with. Hello. I mean, that's <laughs> over there. Massage the teeth. Get it. I gotta I gotta try to tick massage the teeth a little bit. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I mean just burning through them. Just burning through them. They're all they're all over there. I, I promise I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on my tour figure. <laughs> I mean that one's over there. Your boy. I mean, they're all over there, dude. You just why gotta... were we talking why were we talking about your torso, by the way? Was it the <laughs> length of it? I you know Goodness I'm 38. Gracious. I'm 38. If I could, uh, if I had a dollar for every time that my torso has come up in conversation, I'd be in pretty good shape, dude. It just seems, it seems to happen a lot. I don't know why, but it's six o'clock. That means basketball is getting ready to start. We're right at an hour. It's not like we really cut the show short. It's just not an hour and 29 minutes like we've done recently. So, man, dude. Arnold Shepard Jr., yes. To answer your question, yes. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, really appreciate you guys accommodating us and accommodating the basketball game by tuning in at 5 o'clock as opposed to 7. Yeah. We'll be back at 7 o'clock on Friday night. That will be our prediction show. As always, Chris will call me dumb. He might call me smart. Yeah. We will talk about gambling, which I know Chris loves. He, Guys, I'm trying to push him. I'm trying to push him hard. He, he's He's resilient. He's a resilient guy. Won't do it. It's probably it. best that he won't. I went 0 for 2 last night. Uh, <laughs> it's been rough at the sports books for your boy lately here, but, you know, it is what it is. Chris, any final words? Close us out. Uh, just once again, man, appreciate everybody who joins us and listens to us, uh, you know, talk for about an hour here. It's it's uh, it's become a big part of my life and Brandon's life and uh, love the community and hope to see you guys out there on Saturday. If we don't see you at Rosie, you know, enjoy the game. Come on down to Wolverine State Brewing Company. Hang out yep. with us. It's going to be a good time. There it is. See you guys on Friday.